0: Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're currently in a sermon series on the biblical book of Leviticus. Now, this is a book that's been described as weird, gross, and backward. And the fact is that there's a lot of stuff going on in Leviticus that's strange to us today, which is all the more reason for us to study it. Because when we get below the surface, we're going to find God's beating heart of love for you and for me. If you need anything at all, please reach out to us at tablechurchdsm.org. Be sure to come worship with us Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Community Playhouse in Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks for listening. Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, would you open? We actually have two scriptures today. The first one's in Exodus, the second one's in Leviticus. Not surprising, we're in a series on Leviticus. Um, But I would actually encourage you, if you're only going to pick one to look at, look at the one from Exodus. So Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35 is where we'll start. Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, and then we'll get to Leviticus 9, verses 22 through 24. So let me read Exodus 40, 34 and 35 first. It says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 35, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And I'm sorry, I forgot to mention, the ushers have Bibles. If you don't have one, Raise your hand. It's not too late, even though I read it. We'll come back to it. And then we're going to do Leviticus nine, twenty two to twenty four. Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to solve a problem only to then create a bigger problem? That is my life when it comes to home repairs. I think I'm cursed. I'm not exaggerating here. I, I will try to fix something, and then I'm paying somebody thousands of dollars to tear my house apart. It's like, where did I go wrong? But this is what happens to me. Sometimes the solution to one problem only creates a bigger problem. That's how the book of Exodus ends. They have the solution to one problem. Throughout the book, God gives them the instructions how to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle is like a portable temple. Temple is a place where you worship God, you know, in these ancient civilizations where they'd worship their God. And so they have the tabernacle built just as God said And God said, if you build this, I will dwell with you. And sure enough, as we read in Exodus just now, it says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Yes, God has come. But that creates an even bigger problem. How in the world are we going to survive in God's presence? Look what it says again, verse 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Yes, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. Oh, no. (laughs) And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Why couldn't Moses enter it? Well, the answer is is easy. Moses isn't stupid. He doesn't want to die. Look, if ancient Israel had memes, there would be a meme that says, one does not simply enter God's presence. (laughs) You don't just stroll into there all casual. Like the pure unadulterated holy presence of God Nah, that's like, you know, you're going to get smoked if you do that. In fact, you see this all through the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah, you know, like he's in the presence of God. He says, woe is me. John in Revelation, like he falls flat on his face. That's the, like the sure sign that you're in God's presence is you find yourself on your face. So Israel has this crisis on their hands. They're saying on the one hand, yay, God is with us. Oh no, God is with us. It's like a... A a ticking time bomb is just dropped from heaven in the middle of the camp. What are we going to do? We have no idea how to survive in God's presence. How do we enter God's presence? This is the point of Leviticus. This is why God gave Leviticus, to solve that second problem. If you have your Bible open, let me show you what I wrote in mine. I've got a picture here of mine that I usually study out of. So I've got the verses at the end of Exodus 34 and 35 underlined, and it says problem. And I draw a line to Leviticus, and it says solution. This is the solution God gives to this problem of how do we enter God's presence. Leviticus answers the question, how will we enter God's presence? And here's, listen, this is my biggest challenge in preaching a series on a book like Leviticus. It's not like the historical distance between us and them, the strange rituals. I mean, sure, there's a lot there and Quite frankly, a lot of scholars don't even understand a lot of the stuff that's going on there yet. Um, and we, we may never really understand it because we've got light years of cultural distance between us. But that's not the hardest part about writing a series on Leviticus. The hardest part is trying to make that question of how do we enter God's presence urgent to us, trying to make that matter for us, trying to make, help us I don't know, inspires or shakes something loose in us to like want an answer to that question. Because today we have inverted the problem that Israel had. They wanted God's presence. Look, look Oh, I think I have it on the screen. Israel cared, not to say it right. Israel cared about entering God's presence, but couldn't do it. But because of Jesus, we can enter God's presence, but we don't care. How about that? And so the great challenge today is to like awaken something in us, like a holy reverence at the thought of God. We need Leviticus for this reason. And so my prayer is that this study of Leviticus will ignite our hearts once again for a hunger for God. The first half of Leviticus deals mostly with these strange rituals we've been talking about, sacrifices. And if you missed last week, we kind of did an intro to sacrifices. Go ahead and take a listen back to that on the podcast if you can. But the first nine chapters talks about sacrifices, the details, the nitty-gritty of how to do it and what the different kinds are and that kind of thing. And then it kind of climaxes in the passage we read today from chapter 9 where the priest, Aaron, offers sacrifices for Israel, finally enters God's presence. And so by learning about this process of sacrifice that's been detailed to us for nine chapters, we can learn a lot about what, what is required of us as a true worshiper of God. There were different kinds of sacrifices. Some of them didn't, didn't involve animals. Um, some of them were like grain offerings and things like that, drink offerings, uh, but today we're going to walk through the process that was common to many of them and to see what these, these individual steps of sacrifice have to say to us. So there's six steps, uh, generally speaking, when it comes to sacrificing an animal in the tabernacle. And I want to walk through each step quickly and, and just kind of see what they mean and how that might uh, apply to us. So the first step is called presentation, the presentation ritual or rite, if you prefer. The first thing you do when you're going to sacrifice is you present your offering before the priest. This is the presentation. The priest has to inspect it for any blemishes. The text throughout Leviticus is very clear. The offering is to be, it says, without defect or without blemish. Now, why would this be? Well, if you're offering a goat, you know, uh, from your flock, it would be pretty tempting, wouldn't it? To be like, okay, that goat's got something weird going on. Like, I'm, it's probably going to die soon anyway. I'm just going to sacrifice that one. Like, that would be easy to do, wouldn't it? That would be tempting. And so the, the priest is, like, inspecting the teeth and the eyes, just going all through the goat to make sure that this is actually a good specimen of a goat. Now, like, why, why would this matter? Well, it's because, uh, well, last week we learned it's not about what you bring. It's about how you bring it. You remember that? But this is the other side of that same coin. What you bring says something about how you're bringing it, doesn't it? If you bring your worst, that says something about what's going on here. So here's what the presentation right tells us. How you approach God shows how you view God. And guess what? That truth hasn't changed an inch since Leviticus. Like we might not be bringing goats anymore we'll talk about that in a little bit but how you approach god still matters how you approach god still matters like do we come like we don't worship at a temple you know we come here and worship is of course more than the hour on sunday much more than that but that's nonetheless what we're doing here on sundays is we're worshiping through singing through giving through the word through sacraments how do you come How do you approach God? Do you come and, I don't know, kind of mumble your way through things? Do you come and kind of roll your eyes? Do you come and think, why do I have to do this? There's no way around this. That says what you think of God, doesn't it? Because that's what worship is. It's ascribing worth to God. So what kind of worth are you ascribing to him? This is a lesson that we learn in the presentation, right? How you approach God. Shows how you view him. Step two is the hand leaning ritual. Leviticus 1 4 says, You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. Now, the phrase in the Hebrew, lay your hand, uh, suggests like you're not just like petting the goat, okay? You're like leaning your full weight. You're pressing down really hard on the head of this animal. And of course, the question is, well, why? Um, Many people have assumed that this moment is kind of about transferring your sins onto the animal. That's um, something different. That's the scapegoat. That happens later in Leviticus where the sins of the community are placed on an animal and then it's sent out in the wilderness away from the community and it's kind of like your sins are being you know, cast away. But this is different. The hand-leaning ritual says this animal is me. This animal is me. as you press your weight down on this animal, it's like you're saying, I'm transferring kind of my identity into this beast. We call this a vicarious substitute. It's vicarious. Well, vicarious means I experience what someone else or something else experiences kind of through my feelings or imagination. Parents understand the idea of a vicarious substitute very well because you may have been a bench warmer in high school, but if your son's a star athlete, it's like you're vicariously experiencing what it's like, you know? Like we live vicariously through our kids all the time, whether or not we should, it happens. Like this is what it means. So the hand-leaning ritual says, I, now, I will now vicariously endure whatever this animal endures. It is now me. Step three is Slaughter. When the animal is slaughtered, remember, it is you, it is the person offering it that dies. It is a powerful symbol of dying to yourself. Slaughtering an animal is a demonstration of your complete willingness to surrender yourself to God. Sacrifice says, I'm willing to die to myself and surrender fully to God. Now, this feels kind of like the New Testament, doesn't it? We talk about dying to self all the time. Jesus says, whoever will come after me must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Like, we, we understand this. Well, Jesus wasn't just pulling this out of thin air. It's rooted in the Old Testament. It's rooted in Leviticus. They would have understood this as I am now dying to myself. I'm willing to fully give myself to God. My life is not my own. It belongs to God in the moment of slaughter. Step four is the blood, the blood manipulation, we call it. So once the beast is slaughtered, the priest takes the blood and starts doing all sorts of weird stuff, sprinkling the blood around, um, puts it, like sprinkles it on the sacred objects like the altar. Okay, this strange ritual actually has a purpose. In chapter 17, verse 11, it says, listen, for the life of a creature is in the blood. We can stop there. We don't need the rest of that verse. The life of a creature is in the blood." The Hebrew word translate, translated "life" is the same word for soul." You could kind of read this as saying, the soul is in the blood." The ancients understood, look, that the blood is where your soul, or your life force res- resides. That's at least how they saw it. And now remember what we learned in the hand-leaning ritual. Like, that animal is now you, which means that that blood is your blood, which means that that blood contains your soul, which means, watch, it means that it is your soul that has been sprinkled onto the holy things which represent God's presence. And that's that's a big deal. See, the sprinkling of blood brings your soul into contact with the divine. Step five is the burning. Fire makes smoke, and what does smoke do? Smoke rises. This ascension of the smoke is understood as kind of the transformation of the sacrifice up into the heavenly realm where God dwells. And throughout Leviticus, uh, this smoke that rises to God, it's described over and over and over again as a pleasing aroma to God. So what's a pleasing aroma? Remember, that animal's not just an animal. That animal is you. It is you that is ascending to heaven. It is you that through this ritual is symbolically being sent into God's domain. It is you that is pleasing to God. We talked last week about some other kind of ancient Near Eastern religions and how they had their sacrifices too. Uh, but usually with those religions, you're, you're just trying to get to even with your God. You're just hoping that they're not that mad at you anymore. But with Israel, with Yahweh, you have this remarkable thing where over and over and over he says, look, you're pleasing to me. Like, I enjoy your company, your fellowship with me. This is what this is communicating to the people. The Burning Rite says your presence is pleasing to God. Think about that. We we think about the God of the Old Testament as like kind of this vindictive, nasty creature, right? Ah, it's... It's totally opposite. God says, look, I love your presence. I love to be with you. Which leads us into step six, which is communion. After a sacrifice, it was common. You'd eat the remainder of the sacrifice. I mean, you just cooked it, right? So, time for burgers. You just cook it and you serve it up. You eat it in the presence of your friends. You eat it in the presence of God. See, what's happening here is one of the most powerful symbols in the ancient world. Eating a meal. Together. This is the power of sacrifice. At the end of it, God welcomes you to his table. He says, come dine with me. You have this time of communion with God. That's the level of communion that comes from the sacrificial practice. It allows Israel to dwell in the house of God. So, the priest Aaron Walks through all of these steps we just talked about. And then here's what happens. Our our passage, we'll read it again. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Yay, they, they went in and they made it out alive. And then it says, verse 24, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, the fat portions on the altar. In other words, God accepts their offering. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. This is like for an ancient Israel at a goosebumps kind of moment. Like you're like, wow. Can you believe what just happened? God accepts us. He took our offering and we can now dwell in his presence. This is the climax of everything through Exodus up until this point. Moses and Aaron did it, which means they all did it. And so they shouted for joy and worshiped. Now, here's, I think, the spiritual application of all of this. It's this. Before we can have God's presence, we must want God's presence. It seems to me today that people aren't, we're just not terribly bothered by it. You know? Like, we're just so used to maybe our kind of daily lives and rhythms and, I, I don't know, we don't, we don't ache for the presence of God like maybe past generations have. But... Could there be anything that matters more than having this union with God that so many saints have talked about experiencing? If God is who we think he is, what could be a higher pursuit than that? A.W. Tozer says, Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. I don't know about you. I don't want to be in that group that never experiences, there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. I don't want that. He waits to be wanted. Leviticus shows us that to get to that point where the fire of God falls, there's a lot of work that has to happen inside of our hearts first. Like some some Christians think, ah, You know, all those old rituals and things that they did in the Old Testament, like none of that applies to us anymore. Jesus died for our sins, so we don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And yeah, Jesus did die for our sins. He was a perfect sacrifice. We'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But look, if you think that that means that your heart before God doesn't matter, you need to think again because all that stuff from Leviticus, it might look different today. We worship different today, but while the outside, the external things have changed, the truth about your heart hasn't receded an inch. In fact, it might have gone even more. We're not sacrificing goats anymore, but what does Romans 12 say? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, your true and proper worship. We often think that Jesus' death like lowers the bar of expectation for us now. Like we get it all chilled because we're, you know, in New Testament era. We're past, you know, post-Jesus, so it's all easy for us, all good now. It lowers the bar of expectation. But look, when you really look at it, the opposite is actually the truth. We used to sacrifice bulls and goats. Now who's the sacrifice? You are. You're a living sacrifice. People in the Old Testament gave God like 10% of their stuff. You know, what about now? Jesus says, Freely you have received, so freely give. Like the New Testament's answer to how much should I give is, yup. That doesn't make things easier, does it? We may not have to do the rituals of Leviticus anymore, but the heart behind them very much remains. The bar has not lowered. And when I read Leviticus, I get convicted about how apathetic my heart is. Maybe I should sacrifice a goat sometime just to remind myself this is the level of commitment we're talking about here. Like I am to like give myself to God as a living sacrifice. Every year our staff gets together to pray and discern about like what God might be doing in our church. We call it a thematic goal. And a thematic goal is just a clear, simple statement that that defines like what's the one thing that we feel like God is saying you need to accomplish this in the next year. And so we did that. We got together and we spent time in prayer. We, we go through all of our ministries. It's tons of fun. We have these cards, green, yellow, red. Everyone's got one. And we just like go through everything in church. And on three, you hold up your card as how, how, how you think it's going. So it's like table groups, one, two, three. And you hold up a green, yellow, or a red card. If it's green, it's like, I think it's going great. If it's yellow, I think it's so-so. If it's red, I think it's horrible. And so on three, everyone holds it up. you got to like kind of put yourself out there, you know, and especially when it's your ministry. How's the, you know, worship, one, two, three, go. And then we talk about, okay, why did you say green? Why did you say red? And, and through that process, hopefully we can, you know, on the maybe more earthly sense, like improve our leadership, improve our processes and that kind of thing. But the other thing that we're trying to do is just to discern, like, what is God doing where is he at work in Table Church, and what is he leading us toward right now? And so we went through this whole process, and, and we, we arrived at a, a goal that I think, I think God really gave to us. So our thematic goal is simply the phrase, God is here. God is here. That has become our rallying cry for the past several months. Because we have this deep conviction that Table Church is a great church, but I don't just want to be a nice church. Like, when somebody asks you, why do you go to Table Church? I don't want the answers to simply be, well, the music is good, they're really nice, I felt welcomed in my table group, you know, the sermons are the greatest thing I've ever heard, seriously. <laughs> it's the... the and not even that. Like, I want the answer to be I go to table church because God is here. God is here. When that's true, it doesn't matter how good the sermons or music is. And if God's not here, then none of this matters. It's just another social club. And I could get a job, but I don't have to get up as early on Sundays. <laughs> Before we can have God's presence, We must want God's presence. And so as a staff, we've tried to change some things. You know, some stuff you maybe notice, some stuff you won't. But, um, you know, we did a worship night this summer. Got some more scheduled coming. I think we got one in September that you'll hear about soon. Um, We've started a prayer team that they have the red lanyards and they're back there during worship. You've heard us talk about it. You can go get prayer anytime. Just find a... Prayer team person—they happy to pray with you, um, and they're praying throughout the service as well. We've done that. We've done. We've come together a little bit in worship. You may notice, right? We got a little closer. Um, all of these things are—I mean, not the prayer, but so much of it's external, you know. Like so much of it is just kind of—I mean, it, it means nothing if our hearts aren't in it, right? Like, hopefully, I think I do believe in creating environments that are conducive. Like, to focusing ourselves on God, I think that matters, and that's what, we're tr- that's what we try to do. But, n- like, nobody can force anybody to want God, you know? Like, God won't even force you to want Him. Like, that's, that's really up to us to say, God, what, maybe you don't want God, and you don't care. you just, you're like, my heart is cold. God, just help me, you know? I don't want my heart, to, I want to want God. Maybe that's where you are today. The, only thing I, the best thing I know to do to try to stir our affections towards God is to simply gaze at Jesus, not only his teachings, but also what he's done for us. The incredible good news is that Jesus has done the work of the sacrificial system once and for all. But the question, do you want it, that still remains. So let's look at what Jesus did. We learned that there must be an unblemished sacrifice brought to the priest. And Peter says this. He says, you were redeemed with, listen, the precious blood of Christ, a lamb, without blemish or defect. That's the presentation right? We learned about the hand-leaning rite, uh, where the animal becomes our substitute and how the slaughter of the animal becomes our vicarious substitute. Well, in Paul, Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's like two things. That's the slaughter. I no longer live. Substitute, Christ lives in me. That's like the hand-leaning ritual and the slaughter ritual in one. We learned about how the blood of the sacrifice kind of brings our souls into contact with the divine. Look at Ephesians 2. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ. We learn that as smoke ascends to heaven, the worshiper ascends to God. Well, who else ascended? Christ ascended to heaven. So now we can read this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. We learn that through sacrifice, we have communion with God. There's a meal that we share with God. We eat together in his presence. And of course, Christ gave us this meal. He actually even took it another step. Like, it's not only eating a meal with God. It's like Christ is serving it to you. Wow. So my point is this. Jesus did all of this for you and more, but he won't make you want it. He won't make you chase it. I don't know if you've ever been given a gift that's just really thoughtful. Exactly what, you know, you didn't know you wanted it, but you did. Pastor Megan is really good at gift giving. There's been a lot of times where she's just like bought me something because she saw it and knew I'd like it. I didn't even know I'd like it, but she knew. And sure enough, I did. Like when someone gives you a gift, there's something extra special about that thing. I, didn't, I would have never purchased myself a Jurassic Park, Park music box that plays a Jurassic Park theme song when you open it. But oh, there's one sitting on my shelf now. And I think it's pretty cool because she bought it for me. Look, like y'all have been given, we've been given the most precious gift. The work has been done. All that's left is to want it, to chase it, to pursue it, to give our lives to finding it, and to having it. We can have God's presence, but first we must want it. So do you long to hear God's voice? Your life with God. You can live a life where you discern his voice and you discern the steps that he has for you. Levit- or, I'm sorry, St. Augustine says, Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So, if you're restless, it could be that you need God's presence. So, here's my invitation. And I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to play one more song. We're going to take communion. It's kind of an appropriate ending to this, this sermon. Uh, my invitation is this I, I quoted a guy named A.W. Tozer earlier in the sermon, um, he was a pastor and a writer. He has a book called The Pursuit of God. Um, and I just think it's a powerful read. It's short. It's less than 100 pages. Um, he actually wrote it on an overnight train ride, or the whole, wrote the whole book. And we're just going to read it together. If you'd like to join us, maybe you're, like I said, some people are thinking right now, I want to want God, but right now I just don't really care. Like, I just want to do stuff that I like, you know? Um, I don't really want to be here right now. I don't really, I, like I want to want to be here, but I just don't. Hey, A plus for honesty. That's where it all begins, right? Or maybe you're like, I want God, but I, I there's still holdouts in my heart and I just don't pursue with everything I've got right now. I know that I could grow. We could all grow in that. I want to invite you to read the book with us. We're going to do a book club on the pursuit of God. It's going to start Sunday, September 11th, 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, we'll do four Sundays through October 9th. Um, in the ministry center just write the word pursuit on your connection card and we will happily follow up with you um, and we'll read the book together we're just going to spend time in prayer and saying things like God just shake something loose in me when I read that book it it inspires me a lot and so I hope that it will for you as well so we're going to take communion in order to celebrate what Christ has done for us that we can now dwell in the presence of God what a rich and precious gift that is. The band, we're gonna play a song, and I'm just gonna invite you to come at any point during the song. You can come and you can take the elements. Uh, it's gluten-free, so you don't need to worry about that. You can take it right down here. You don't need to take it back to your seat. There's a garbage can here if you'd like to just toss the, the remainder in there when you're done. Would you pray with me? Well, God, let us huh, hold two things in tension. On the one hand, the incredible privilege it is that we now can enter through the veil into the Holy of Holies because the veil has been torn. As Christ died, his blood was shed for us. And so now we don't need to sacrifice anything anymore. You've done the work. And I can. it says in Hebrews, I can boldly enter your presence. I can come with confidence. But Lord, let that not become lackadaisical. Let it not become where I just don't really care anymore or value it. Let let us never lose our sense of awe, wonder, and reverence, and never let us stop hungering for you. Let this be a church where we chase you. When we come in here, we're like, something's going down today. God is here, and I don't want to miss it. So may our hearts be open before you and hungry for you, God. May we not hide from you, I pray. And Lord, for all of us, especially those who need it, may your grace be communicated to us through this sacrament, we pray, your body and your blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray these things in your name.